Hello, Crossroads. I'm Pastor Kim, director of the residency program here at Crossroads Church, which we started two years ago with a vision of training young seminarians in church leadership and service in ways seminary could never teach them. So we do a two-year paid residency with residents learning that process, and I get to direct that program. Our first resident is Alex Stadler. Alex was an in-house guy, part of Crossroads Church, and he agreed to be the first-year guinea pig, the first residency guinea pig and he has completed and graduated that program and is serving the Fort Lupton campus so uh, fittingly and so well. We're so proud of Alex. And we, this weekend, get to hear our first resident graduate preach to all of us on this Father's Day weekend. So I'm really proud and very thankful to be able to introduce to you our resident, my friend, Alex Stadler. Hi, Crossroads. Thank you. So yeah, like Kim made pretty clear, I'm Pastor Alex, um, and this is a huge honor for me, um, not just because I get to preach God's word to you, but this has been my church for basically my whole adult life. I've been here for 10 years, and I never thought that I would um, be speaking here, let alone be a pastor who got to work under Pastor Kim like that. It's super awesome. So I just want to take a, a quick moment because um, there are so many people here on staff, but not even just staff members, but friends, um, church family here in this room that I have to thank for just supporting me, letting God work through them to, to journey to this point. So just thank you to all of you. But then also, it's Father's Day, so I can't help but to be thankful for my own father. So how about all of us together? Let's thank our fathers. Let's give them a hand whether they're here or not. Thank you, fathers. <clears throat> so... Um, because I've been here for so long, um, for, like I said, my whole adult life, every Father's Day, I have been in a Crossroads service. And there's one that has stuck with me for years. Um, Pastor Kim was teaching. I, I couldn't tell you at all what he was saying. But he said a comment at the end <clears throat> that I think about on a regular basis. I, I especially think about it every single Father's Day. And what he said as he was winding down in this sermon was that most fathers feel inadequate. Most fathers feel like they're not good enough or that they're a bad dad. And I'm sure he was bringing this up because he wanted to encourage us on Father's Day um, to be mindful to let our dads know that that's not true and to encourage them and, and to, you know, not just write in a card, but to say in words, look our dads in the face and say, thank you, you, you are good, you're a good dad. <clears throat> and when he said this, the reason I think about it all the time is because it broke my heart. Because even though my dad's never told me he feels like a bad dad, uh, I just could, I just knew, and it was heartbreaking, that he was probably one of those people. And it was so heartbreaking because I love my dad, because my dad is awesome. And the last thing I want is for him to not know how much I appreciate all that he's done for me. <clears throat> but this, this isn't just a phenomenon with dads. This is true with moms. It's true in all sorts of areas of our life. And as I've gotten older, it makes sense to me. Uh, I'm married now. I'm not a dad, but I'm a husband. <clears throat> and before I was married, I had a dream of what kind of husband I was going to be. I'd, I created expectations and had this idea of what it was going to be like to be uh, a husband. And I prayed about it, and I prayed about the beautiful lady I would marry and all these things. Well, here I am years into it. And let me tell you, most days I get up, and I realized, you know, I've, I'm not living up to that. I had an idea of what kind of husband I would be, and I, I fall short, and I feel inadequate. I feel like I'm not enough. Sometimes I feel like I'm failing. 
And uh, this is true even, even as being a pastor, he, going to work every day. You know, I didn't want to be a pastor my whole life, but once I knew it's something I wanted to do, I built an idea of what kind of pastor I'd be. And even now, today, years into this gig, there's days I wake up and say, you know what, I don't, I don't think I'm getting to where I wanted to be. I don't think I'm, I'm hitting the expectation I set for myself. And this, this is true for all of us, whether it's um, how we feel in our workplace as, as fathers, as moms, as spouses, whatever. It's not uncommon for people in our society to feel like they're not good enough or to feel like they're inadequate or to feel like maybe even they're meaningless and their whole life is useless or, the, or they're failures. And if you don't feel this way, that's great, but I promise you, people all around you do. And I realize it's Father's Day. This is a day of celebration, and I'm kind of being a bummer right now. <clears throat> but I do this for a reason. I do this for two reasons, actually. Is one, it's a real problem. And you can't address problems if you don't acknowledge that they're there. <clears throat> and I can tell you, this is not how God planned our world to be. We're not supposed to be waking up every day feeling this way. But the second reason I bring this up is because one of my biggest passions, whether I was a pastor or not, is to help people understand that our God is real and that he's concerned about our real lives. He's not just saving us from death, but he's saving us from all of sin and even the powers that make us feel all of these feelings that we carry every day and that our God is saving and rescuing us even from these real problems. And so if you will today, we're going to dive into the Bible and we're going to continue in this series of Acts and we're going to watch Peter give the first Christian sermon. And by the end, I'm going to show you that this sermon is meant to destroy these kind of feelings and meant to address them and show us how we as Christians can move past them. <clears throat> so uh, before we read in chapter 2 of Acts um, and continue the story, let's just remember how we got here. So last week, Pastor Rodney, <clears throat> he gave a sermon about Jesus ascending into heaven and being with the Father. And this was a real bummer for the apostles, if you think about what they've just gone through. They've spent all these years with Jesus, and he's doing awesome things. He's carrying out this mission that they've been waiting God to finish for so many years. He gets to Jerusalem. It seems like everything's about to go down and happen, and he dies. And they're scared, and they're lonely, and they're freaked out. But he comes back. Three days later, Jesus comes back, and they're excited. Yes, he's here. Now we're going to finish it. Now we're going to do it. He's conquered death. He's conquered sin. It's going to happen. And then what does he do? He leaves again. And they're bummed. It was going to happen. What's going on? <clears throat> and so then if you remember, a few weeks ago, Pastor James talked to us about what happened next. As they, they went into an upper room in the city of Jerusalem, and they hid, and they waited not knowing what to do next. But eventually something happens. The Holy Spirit comes in. It's described as like a rushing wind. And then all of a sudden the disciples come out of this upper room into the city and they're speaking in all different languages so that everyone can hear the gospel of Jesus. And it's hard to picture when you're just reading it in the Bible. But you have to remember, um, the Bible tells us thousands of people come over to figure out what's going on. So whatever is happening is huge. It's a spectacle. They're causing a large scene. Whatever this rushing wind was like, whatever the disciples are saying as they're coming out speaking, they're causing a scene, and it's outlandish, and people want to know what's going on because it doesn't make any sense. And it, it's so confusing that eventually people just start saying, well, they're just drunk. They're just drunk and being stupid. That's what's going on. 
But Peter knows that that's not actually the problem. And he stands up and he gives the first Christian sermon. And today we're going to start by reading what he says to all these people who are wondering what's going on with these followers of Jesus. So if you want, we're going to be in Acts chapter 2 and we're going to start in verse 14. So this is what Peter says. But Peter, standing with the eleven, lifted up his voice and addressed them. Men of Judea and all who dwell in Jerusalem, let this be known to you and give ear to my words. For these people are not drunk as you suppose, since it is only the third hour of the day, which would be nine o'clock in the morning. Apparently he assumes we're not all drunk at nine o'clock in the morning. That's a different sermon though. But this is what was uttered through the prophet Joel. And in the last days, it shall be, God declares, that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. And your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, and your young men shall see visions, and your old men shall dream dreams. Even on my male servants and female servants, in those days, I will pour out my spirit." And they shall prophesy, and I will show wonders in the heavens above and signs on the earth below, blood and fire and vapor of smoke. The sun shall be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the day of the Lord comes, the great and magnificent day. And it shall come to pass that everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Yeah, whoa. Let's face it, that was a lot. And it was really bible and it's full of church words. What's going on? <clears throat> well, this is incredibly meaningful to Peter because remember what he's doing. Something so crazy is happening that the best way for outsiders who are watching can describe what's going on is to just assume they're drunk and stupid and something crazy is going on. But Peter knows that there's something bigger happening. And so he brings up the prophet Joel. He quotes the Old Testament and says, this Um, What's happening right now is what was promised to us would happen. Jesus himself even told us that once he leaves and ascends into heaven, he's going to give the church who are going to work out the next part of the mission, his spirit. And this is significant because before then, in Old Testament times, if you will, not everyone had access to the Holy Spirit. The Spirit was still around, but just a prophet or a king or a messenger or select individuals at a time would have the Spirit of God. But the promise was it's not always going to be this way. Someday, all of God's people are going to have the Spirit. Men, women, rich people, poor people, it didn't matter. All people could come to God and receive His Spirit and the power that comes with it. And it's not just a matter of we'd get the spirit, but then we get to the weird part of Joel where it's talking about um, signs and wonders, the sun going dark, the moon turning to blood and smoke and fire and vapor and all this weird stuff. And a lot of times when we read stuff like this, we just assume the Bible just always wants to talk about the end of the world. So of course that's what's going on here. But if you notice what was happening at the very end of this text that we just read, is he makes it clear that this is in the last days between the pouring out of spirit and it's going to happen before Jesus comes back and finishes what he started. And so he's talking about the point of history that Peter was in right then and that we're in now of what is is the church going to look like between Jesus' ascension and his coming back to finish the mission. And the best way to understand what he's doing is he's using an idiom, a figure of speech. This is how they talked. Uh, The idea is, is in agrarian culture, if the sun is going away, if the moon's getting messed up, if there's fire and natural disasters, all of life is going to be messed up, 
right? You can't function as a society anymore. But for them, that's a good thing because society is broken. It doesn't function how God planned for it to be. So he's saying someday the spirit is going to be poured out on all people and they're actually going to have the power to completely upend the foundations of how the world works and society to finally bring rescue and restoration like God promised. Like we're not just going to get the Holy Spirit, but we're going to receive the power of God in us to continue the mission and change the world. And so he's using idiom a lot like we would do today in terms of like talking about a zombie apocalypse. Do you know people who talk about zombie apocalypses? I'm sure you do. I bet you even have friends who want the zombie apocalypse. They're excited about it, right? Well, remember, we're all, no matter how educated you are, no matter what you know about life, we all know zombies aren't coming around anytime soon. It's impossible. But people like the idea of a zombie apocalypse because people are unhappy with how the world is right now, especially around COVID times. People talked about it all the time because things were just out of control and they knew society needed some sort of big shake, something to uproot just the foundations to maybe restart rebuild, get things back on track. And that's the exact same sentiment that Peter is talking about. This, the Holy Spirit is going to come and we're going to receive power that's so radical that the world at its very core is going to be shaken by what we're able to do in pursuit of God's mission. And now, <clears throat> people aren't all that different back then than they are now. Not everyone believes him. If everyone on this side of the room just started going crazy and yelping and getting wild or whatever, and I just said, they have the Spirit of God in them, everyone on this side of the room would be, yeah, whatever, that's crazy. Well, I don't know what's going on over there. And so people listening to Peter have the same question of, how do I know that's what's actually going on? So he continues in verse 22 to explain how he knows that this is what's actually happening. He says, men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through him in your midst, as you yourselves know, this Jesus delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God, you crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. God raised him up, loosing the pangs of death because it was not possible for him to be held by it. In other words, he's saying, we know from Joel that God had given this promise that all people are going to receive, or all of his people are going to receive the Holy Spirit. And Jesus even promised before he ascended that he was going to make sure the Spirit is given to his disciples to continue the work in his absence. And then he's saying, so let's remember who Jesus is because they're in Jerusalem. They all just watched this happen. Jesus was known for his signs and his miracles. He was known for going into towns and everywhere he went, he brought healing and rescue and salvation. And just a few days ago, they all watched him die. They watched the powers that be nail him up onto a cross and he hung there till he was dead. They all watched this. And Peter reminds them, you saw this happen. But then he reminds them, but we also were all just hanging out with him a couple days ago because his body was healed and he walked out of that tomb. And so we know that Jesus is who he says he is. He actually is God. He really is the author of life because even when he died and he did die, he had the power to heal and restore himself and walk out. That is the power of God. And he's talking to them saying, and you know this is true because you watched it happen. The Bible tells us hundreds of people saw Jesus when he was out of the tomb. 
healed. They saw this with their own eyes. And so they respond, they believe this really is the, the pouring out of the spirit where this promise is finally being fulfilled. But then they ask, well, what do we do? So Peter tells them. In verse 37, he goes on saying, now when they heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, brothers, what shall we do? And Peter said to them, repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit for the promise is for you and for your children and for all who are far off. Everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself. And with many other words, he bore witness and continued to exhort them saying, save yourselves from this crooked generation. So those who received his word were baptized and there were added that day about 3,000 souls. So what do you do in response to this? Because it's not just the spirit was being given to them at that time thousands of years ago, but we're talking about the section of history that we're in right now. So what Peter is telling them, he's telling us, and it's, it's, it's the same, baptize or be baptized in the name of Jesus and repent, which just face it are, are more Bible words, more church words, but we know what they mean. To be baptized, we just watched it happen. Is to just simply publicly proclaim to profess that Jesus is who he says he is. He is king, he is God, he is Lord of all. And to be baptized is to just proclaim to the world, I believe that Jesus is God and I am not. And then to repent, you know, that word can have a bad stigma at times, but it needs, doesn't need to be. All repentance is, is just putting your money where your mouth is then. Where when you say, Jesus is God and I am not, then you wake up every day and you remind yourself, you know what? Jesus is God and I am not. And so no matter what happens today, no matter what comes my way, I'm going to do my best to not carry out my will, to not use and hurt people and take advantage of whoever I need to to get what I want when I want it, but rather I'm going to lay down my will and carry out God's will and be a part of his mission. It's not about being perfect. A lot of times people will say that to, to repent is to just throw away everything we were doing and just now be perfect, but that's not what it's about. It's about this constant striving and every day being committed to the truth that Jesus is God, I am not, and I'm going to be committed to not living out my will, but God's will. And we trust that when we enter into this life, we may not change instantly. We not, may not become perfect instantly, but we trust that exactly what Peter said. We will then receive this gift of the Holy Spirit who gives us power and equips us to actually live life this way. And that over years of living out this commitment, eventually we will experience a transformation where before you know it, we can look back and see where we were once one person, we're now a new person. We're someone who no longer just carries out our will, but God's will and carries out his mission. Because that's, that's what the church is doing now, is we are given the Holy Spirit so that we can continue this mission of God's salvation and rescue right here, right now. So what does this look like in real life? Because this has all been really Bible-y. Maybe some of you really like turning it out and that's cool. But for those of us who are like, I'm done being a nerd, what are you trying to tell me? Well, let me tell you a story. <clears throat> and I want to tell you about a guy named Kevin. 
See, before I worked here, before I was a pastor, I spent 10 years working in a warehouse as a forklift driver and supervisor. And when I showed up there, I met this man, Kevin Panko, and he's been working in this warehouse for about as long as I've been alive. He was there before I showed up, and he's still there right now. And let me tell you something about Kevin. He's a man of God who wakes up every morning and goes to work, and he goes home, and he goes to bed, and he gets up, and he goes to work, and he repeats, and repeats and repeats, and we all know this life. And, and Kevin may not always um, be remembered as being a forklift driver. Most of you probably don't even know who he is, and you probably never will. But because he is a man of God, he goes to work every day, and he says, how do I look for opportunities to spread compassion? How do I look for opportunities to bring care to people who need it? How do I carry out God's will in this warehouse. And I can tell you, for years, I worked in this warehouse, and I hated it. I felt like I was wasting my life. I felt like a failure. I had all these expectations of what life was going to be like when I grew up, and I spent it on a forklift, and I hated it. But God eventually taught me the lesson that Kevin needed to teach me, that how could I ever be a pastor in a church if I can't be a pastor in this warehouse? How could I ever lead people and shepherd people and carry out God's will in a church if I can't even do that in this warehouse, which is full of people who need God's love and compassion? And I said, you know what? That's the life. I want to be more like Kevin. I want to carry out God's will every day I go to work. And it changed my life. It changed my relationships just the way Kevin had been doing for years. And to make it a little bit more concrete, I was talking with him earlier this week um, to let him know I'm going to tell a bunch of strangers all about him. <clears throat> and as we were talking and catching up, um, we started talking about old memories, old people that I didn't really interact with anymore. And he told me one story that perfectly exemplifies exactly how he does this. <clears throat> you see, about a year before I left that job to come here, a man showed up. He immigrated out of the country, or into the country from another country, and he's deaf. He didn't know English, and he couldn't hear anything. And one way or another, he found himself getting a job in our warehouse. And it was a big deal because we had to figure out how do we make this workplace a place where someone who can't read English and can't hear anything can work here. And so we built new systems, we figured out how to get it done, and we, we got him working there. And he was so excited to make this new life here in America, even with his disabilities. And everyone in this place came together trying to make sure he had everything he needed to succeed. And so I got to catch up. He's still there. He, he's taking opportunities. He's getting opportunities. He's even getting promotions. It's amazing. It's cool. But he told me this story on top of that. You see, Kevin is someone who's like a lot of us. He hates traffic. So he shows up to work unreasonably early to make sure he avoids all of the traffic. He gets there so early, the building's not even open yet. And our friend, who can't hear, he doesn't have a car. And so he takes the bus to work every day. And he's a man of integrity. He doesn't want to show up late. He wants to do his work, and he wants to do it on time. And so he takes the early bus and often gets to the building before it's even open. And this winter came, and it was cold outside. And he didn't want to wait around in the cold while he waited for the door to get opened. And he saw Kevin's car every morning there. And because Kevin is a man who cares for people, shows compassion to people, he knew that he could trust Kevin. He knew that he could come to Kevin and receive care and receive help. So he walked up one day, took the risk, and knocked on the door. And Kevin opened it. 
And now every morning he lets this man stay warm in his car before he can get into work. Most of us will never know Kevin. He won't become famous, he won't be on headlines, but do you see what he's doing? This man is changing the world. He is changing the world of this man who doesn't want to sit around in the cold just so that he can work each day. Think about Pastor Kim. Think about Pastor Matt. Think about even our executive leader, Angie. These are people who are probably never going to be famous and known worldwide, but how have they impacted our lives? How have they changed our worlds? Think about our fathers and our mothers. They're probably not going to be famous either, but how have they changed our worlds? How have they impacted us? The thing is, I'm not trying to preach um, just some cheap self-help of, you know what, <clears throat> you, you have everything you need in you to go do whatever you want to do. The truth is that's not true. The reason we feel feelings of inadequacy, the reason we feel like we're not enough, the reason why we feel like we might be useless or meaningless or failures is because we know when left to our own devices, we actually do fall short. We can't actually live up to the expectations we have. But this message that Peter is telling us is letting us know that the game has changed. Not because we're great, but because God is great. All people who come to Jesus and can every day say, Jesus is king, Jesus is God, and I am not. And then live a life to, committed to carrying out God's will rather than ours. All of those people receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. All of those people are equipped with everything they need to carry out God's will. Kevin may not be famous. He may not feel like he's changing the whole world, but that man is changing so many worlds because the Spirit of God is in him and he's using it. If you're a Christian, if you're following Jesus, that Spirit is in you. You may feel like you're a bad dad or a bad mom or a bad spouse. Maybe you feel like your job isn't worth the time and you're just wasting your life. The Spirit of God is available. The Spirit of God is poured out for all those who proclaim Jesus is God, and it gives you the power to carry out God's will. Whatever God's calling you to, whatever he has planned for you, we are in an era in history where we can change the world as the church because we have the Spirit of God. And so I promise you, the Spirit of God, if you're a Christian, if you come to Jesus, is in you. And you may not change the whole world, but you absolutely have the power to change the worlds of the people around you. And that is good work. Can I hear amen? Do you believe me? Amen. Yeah. All right. Pray with me. <clears throat> Dear God, we thank you that you are a God of power and that you are good. That you don't just enter into our lives by watching from afar on some cloud, but instead you enter into our lives through your spirit. You are in this world, God. You are beside us. We live in your presence. You live in our own heart, God. And we love you. And we thank you that you have built this relationship with us, that you have saved us from separation with you, and that through your spirit, God, our lives can be a part of your mission. And so we offer up all that we have to you in thanks, God. We offer up all that we have to you with submission, God, because we want to be a part of this mission. We want to be a part of your life as you're a part of ours, God. And so give us strength this week to get through whatever obstacles are in front of us. 
Give us courage and remind us that we have hope and that no matter what happens, sin and death cannot win because you have won. You're a good God and we love you. In Christ's name we pray, amen. We're gonna go into communion now and we do this every week simply because Jesus asked us to. <clears throat> and so on the night he was betrayed, he took bread and he broke it. And he told his disciples around him that every time they meet and gather together, they should break bread and remember that his body was broken for them. And so here we are thousands of years later, and we're gonna take bread and remember that Jesus died for us. Let's eat and remember. And likewise, he took the wine that they had and he told them that when they're together, they should also take wine and drink and remember that his blood was spilt for them. But of course, we know that we're not just remembering that Jesus died. We're remembering that he died because he stood up again. Dying isn't interesting. We're all gonna die. But Jesus truly is God because he's the author of life and death couldn't stop him. He walked out. And that same power, the same power that rose Jesus from the dead is also in us. And so we're going to drink and remember not just that his blood was spilt, not just that Jesus died. We're going to remember 2,000 years later that he walked out of that grave. And so let's drink and remember. God, our Father, thank you for saving us. Thank you for caring about us so much that you were willing to come into this world and conquer death, to conquer sin, to conquer evil. God, thank you that you have saved us from anything that could keep us from living out your will, anything that could keep us from being a part of your mission, God. We know that we have purpose. We know that we have meaning because we are your children and you have saved us. You died for us. You are good and we praise you. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.